Episode 59, Podcasting in the Law, my conversation with entertainment law and podcaster, Gordon Firemark. Gordon is an attorney and podcaster who helps artists, writers, producers, and directors achieve their dreams in the field of theater, film, television, and new media. Since his admission to practice in 1992, Gordon has focused his attention on providing sound, practical, legal, and strategic advice to his clients so they can make smart deals, grow their businesses, and do great things. Gordon is the producer and host of the Entertainment Law Update, a podcast for artists and professionals in the entertainment industries. He is also the author of the podcast, blog, and new media producer's Legal Survival Guide. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Just a quick shout out before we start. Are you enjoying the TechSavvyLayer.page podcast? Consider giving us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast feeds. Also, consider buying us a cup of coffee or two from the link on our blog to help defray some of the production costs. Thanks, and again, enjoy. Gordon, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Michael. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you being here. And to get things started, tell us, what is your current tech setup? My tech setup is based around a Mac. I've been a Mac user for a while now. I always said when I've, I've been practicing for 30-something years, and, and I started out, of course, on PCs. And at one point, my wife, who was a Mac user, shortly after we met, was really encouraging me to get a Mac. I'll never switch. I'll never switch. Well, I switched. <laughs> and uh, What was your first back, Mac? What was your first a MacBook Pro, maybe 2012, okay. somewhere around there. Okay, okay. And actually, no, it was probably a little earlier than that. But anyway, 2009, maybe, when okay. I started my podcast, actually. I think oh, I was okay. already on a Mac. And so it's built around the Mac and the mics. I'm currently using a Shure MV7 microphone, which is a USB and XLR, so I can plug it mm -hmm. into my mixer and whatever. That mixer is a Rodecaster Pro. That okay. allows me to record my show. The show that I do, Entertainment Law Update, we do live to drive. So okay. we start the show, we start press record, press the music. When it finishes, mm -hmm. we start talking, we finish the show, press the music, and then out we go, stop the recording, upload the file. Cool. Very little, if any, post-production is done. And, and that's part of just having a streamlined, fast workflow so we can get the episodes out and not eat up lawyer time <laughs> doing it. I, I got to ask, so I'm running off of a Blue Yeti. Now... If I may ask, why would I want to, and I say this not accusatory, but as just, I want to know the, the details of why would I want to move from say a Blue Yeti to your mic? You're asking the right guy. I'll tell you. Perfect. I was a sound guy before I went to law school. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, Excellent. There, there are two different sort of classes of microphones and it mm -hmm. really is the technology that goes into them. There are condenser microphones, mm -hmm. use electricity to magnetize the coil that picks up the sound and then converts it into a different electrical signal. That tends to be a more sensitive, more delicate kind of a sound, and it okay. tends to pick up a lot of room noise and background. And so the Blue Yeti is a condenser microphone. Okay. The mic I'm using and the mics that I generally recommend for podcasting are dynamic microphones, which don't require power in order to operate. They rely on the sound waves to fluctuate against a stand, a regular magnet, and that generates the electrical current that becomes the, the sound that's recorded. It takes more amplification on the front end of that to get a really nice, robust sound. But the advantage is if you're not in a perfectly tuned soundproof room... Right. You're not going to pick up a lot of the little things. Like right now, there's a fan going across the room from me, and there's noise out in the rest of the house where I'm working. And we're not going to hear most of that unless it gets really crazy loud. 
on something like what you're using, you might be more prone to those kinds of things. So okay. if you're a podcaster, if you're going to be recording in your office at where there's hubbub around, right. unless you want to hear that hubbub, a dynamic mic is, is probably a better choice. Now, the Blue Yeti is a great microphone. Don't get me wrong, but it does require some attention to what's going on around as well. Now, a moment ago, you mentioned that you had a Rodecaster processor. A Rodecaster Pro is a multi-channel mixer and recording console. Okay. And it's put out by Rode, which is the maker of a lot of good quality microphones and other mm -hmm. sound equipment. What it allows me to do is when I record my show, which uses a Skype call for my co-host and we may bring in guests and things like that, is to have independent control of everybody's audio channel. Okay. Plus, we can press sound pads and have cue the music and it records on board inside the mixing console as well. So it's all sort of a... I won't call it an all-in-one device, but it's a very versatile recording device. Before I had that, which it's only been a few years, uh, I had separate mixers and sound cards and recording decks. And it was a, a ton of equipment in a rack sitting on my desk. And I was able to get rid of all that in favor of this one, one device. It's a great tool if you're really serious about podcasting. I'll say nowadays, when you have guests and things like that, there are a lot of great tools out there that use... Well, like we're recording on a Zoom call right, right now. Right. Zoom doesn't always have the best sound quality. It's pretty good. There are others like it that are specifically designed for higher sound quality recordings. And it's possible to do a show with guests nowadays without any special outboard equipment. You're a former professional sound guy. Does the average attorney who wants to do his or her own podcast, do they need something as in-depth as a roadcaster and a sure mic? Or is it safe to say you could go with a Blue Yeti and be fine for the rest of your podcasting career? I think a lot of people do. This microphone is not a particularly expensive microphone. It's probably maybe double what the Yeti costs. The Yeti costs what, about $115 or something like that. I think it's like 100 bucks now. But Yeah, this is about a $250 microphone. So it's not a tremendous investment, especially for lawyers who have little cash to invest. And I just, frankly, I just think this is a great sounding microphone. That's why I chose it. I've played with lots of different mics because right, I'm right. a geek about that kind of stuff. And yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the Yeti, as you can probably tell. No worries. And to each their own, and we're not here to judge anyone. But how much extra does the Roadcaster enhance your overall podcasting? Then? What it does, it streamlines the workflow. Because okay. I'm able to, everything is built in. The mm -hmm. recording happens on board there. It's not relying on the computer's processors to do the recording. Okay. It allows me to play the music in real time and mix the volume levels and things like that. Again, it's if I wasn't a sound guy, probably wouldn't have bothered to get into that kind of thing. So I'm assuming the mic is more important than the mixer. Look, the microphone is the first place that you're capturing mm -hmm. sound and doing anything with it. And like any technology, really, if you put garbage in, you get garbage out. If you put high quality right. in, you're better able to get high quality out. And so... I think investing in a good, you don't have to spend tons of money, a good, decent microphone that will do the job and reject that background noise is a wise investment. And I see that you like the Shure MV7, and I'll make sure that's in the show notes for everyone to take a look uh, at. Of course, I'll also have a link to the Blue Yeti. And trust me, mm -hmm. I'm looking at possibly upgrading. Yeah. And I'm going to take what you said to heart. There's um, another mic I should tell you please, about. Since please. Somebody's just an entry-level microphone for podcasting. They're They're two microphones that fit this bill. One is called the Audio-Technica ATR2100. It also plugs into USB or XLR, so you can grow with it and plug it into mm -hmm. a mixer later. Okay. Nice quality sound, but I think it's about $80, maybe $75. Sometimes okay. you find them on sale. And it has a sort of a sibling made by a company called Samson, S-A-M-S-O-N. Q2U is the model. 
And it okay. also, same thing, it's a, a dual USB or XLR, it tends to be a little louder of a microphone. So some people really like that. And and they both, you know, it's a kit. You buy the whole thing for under $100 and okay. plug it in and you're good to go. So all three of the mics we've talked about, and I'm mm -hmm. referring to the ones you've talked about, the Shure, the Samsung, and the Audio Technica, if I heard yeah. that correctly. Yeah. They're all USB, but can be transferred over to a mixer. Yeah. Yeah, and they're all dynamic mics, so they're going to do that background noise rejection a little better. Awesome. I learned something new today, and I appreciate that. So tell us, what is your current computer? So I'm using a 2021 Mac Mini with the M1 chip. It's not a super machine by any stretch of the imagination. I think I added up, I upgraded the memory to the 16 gigabytes of memory. But Got other it. than that, it's your basic Mac Mini for about $1,000 when I bought it. And it's uh, my office computer as well as my recording computer and how many screens do you have or what screens do you have so i have two monitors i technically i have three because i'm actually talking to you using a teleprompter which has a third monitor that is a clone of the second monitor on the system gotcha. that way i'm looking directly into the camera for when i do live streaming and those kinds of things but right, right. that's geeky extras but the but what are the two monitors you're using and also tell us what the teleprompter is okay so the two monitors that i'm using as dual monitors are from lg i don't know the, yep. the model number but i picked it up it's a 24 inch diagonal lcd led screen I got them at Costco for 125 oh. bucks or something like that. And they're fine for my good. purposes. I'm not doing a lot of technical photo editing and video stuff that color correction really matters. And so it's a, a nice balance of price and quality for nice big screens. The teleprompter is a, gosh, I've had it for years. I don't remember the name of the maker, but there's a bunch of them. Originally, it was designed to work with an iPad as the screen. And it's just, okay. you know, cameras behind a mirror and you see what's on the screen and, and read it. Uh, a few about a year ago, I bought a smaller little flat panel monitor that fits in the place of the iPad. So I'm not having to dedicate my iPad to that. And so it's always connected. But like I said, that's geeky stuff, tech stuff. It's, that's it's fun. But, um, so does the teleprompter, does that have a cam in it? No, the camera actually sits on a mount behind the mirror okay. of the teleprompter. Okay. So okay. what you have is a half-silvered mirror, so it passes light yep. pretty well through. And the, the lens is right behind the center of the mirror, and the mirror is over the monitor that's laying flat, perpendicular, flat, parallel to my desk, basically. Cool. And so what scrolls by on the monitor scrolls by on the mirror, and it's reversed. This little monitor I have is has a switch to create a mirror image, and it makes it very easy to... Put some text on the screen and read it if I want to, or have an outline, or just for these kind of calls to be able to look you right in the eye and communicate. What kind of camera are you using or webcam? So I was using up until very recently, I was using mm -hmm. a, a Logitech Brio webcam. The I think it's the 4K model. I don't even know. And it, yeah, it, it is. It, the Brio is the 4K. It's, I yeah. have it. I'm we're talking on it right now. Yeah. Super clear, bright picture, really good. Comes with some software you can zoom in mm -hmm. and out a little mm -hmm. bit and those kinds of things. And I love it. But I wanted to throw the background behind me out of focus a little bit. Okay. And the Brio, because it's got such a small sensor and just the way the lenses and things work, it's not real good for that. And so be it. And again, being the geek that I am and having money, I guess, to spend on things, I went and bought a Canon M50 mirrorless digital SLR and a Sigma 16 millimeter lens that has very wide aperture that lets you get that soft focus background and it has great autofocus so if i step away from my desk right right 
it stay, it keeps me in focus. And because um, oh. I do some teaching and other things that I, this, it's just a useful setup. Cool. I have some headphones on. Yep. What brand is that? Oh, let me think. I got to take them off and look. <laughs> I think these are from Source Audio. Okay. Status Audio, I think is the name of the company. I don't know the model number, but again, I'm not doing such mission critical stuff that I needed to invest a tremendous amount of money in them, but comfort on my head. If we're wearing headphones for hours and hours in a day, it gets to be uncomfortable if right. they're not really well built. So these oh, have yeah. a nice ear cushion and the sound quality is good. And being a sound guy, I, I do care about the sound quality, but I'm not investing three, four, five hundred dollars in a pair of headphones. Then we won't talk about the Apple AirPod Max <laughs> that I'm wearing. Sorry, I had to, I couldn't remember the name. Is that what those are? So, yeah, I got these when I was in Hawaii. I had planned, yeah. we had a trip to Hawaii and I was planning on getting a pair and Apple's got this great 14 day return policy. I figured I'd take it on the trip and try them out. And I just ran out of time and we get yeah. to Hawaii and I had no plans on going to the Apple store there, although I would have loved to just to be a geek. But what happened was my wife and I were at the beach and I'm in maybe four foot water, five foot water. I dropped my phone until mm. and I'm like, all right, great. So we get back to the hotel. I say, hey, do you have a bag of rice? So I want to dry it out, charge it up and go from there. Mm. And they did. And it was working, except that when I tried to plug it in, there's a little grain of salt or asshole, sand Rough. that got stuck in there. And I'll decide to take it over while they were playing with it. I was playing with these and I'm like, oh yeah, I got to get these. And yeah. when you try them on they're they really are fantastic. No, but they listen, sound good. They feel comfortable and yeah. you get the Bluetooth and the noise yeah. canceling. I do yeah. have noise canceling headphones that I spent a little more money on, but I don't use right. them for this kind of thing. I, I, it's just less wires in yeah. my, visual, which is what I prefer. But of course, if you look at my desk, you'll see a lot of wires. So tell us what else you got back there, because I see a light in the back that says that you're on air. I'm curious about that. I see all these different little products that come out saying, hey, you're on air or in a meeting. Yeah. So in my background, I've got a handful of lighting and actually my my lights changed. So I'm going to turn the shelf lights back on. Okay. But that's really just about set, set decoration. The sign that you see that says live on air used to be on the outside of my office door okay. to tell the kids, hey, shut up, I'm recording. I now have a different sign for that. So I thought oh, it'd be cool to have that background yep. there. And I've got a bookshelf with some LED strips behind it and you know, just to decorate. Nothing exceptional, stuff I get on Amazon, stuff I find out on the out there. And it really is purely aesthetic. And uh, the other thing that you see behind me on the wall is the octagonal, hexagonal panels. Those are three quarter inch felt panels that help to deaden the sound in the room because I am okay. in what is essentially a 10 by 10 cube. And that means lots of echo and stuff like that. So yeah. I've got a felt desk mat down under my keyboard and I try to get nice and close on the microphone so you're not hearing any room echo, but that helps right. deaden things as well. And carpets and window blinds and all those kinds of things help. Excellent. Is there any other piece of tech you'd like to share with us? I'll tell you the lights that I'm using on mm -hmm. my video right now are Elgato key lights. Okay. And they mount to the desk and they're flat panel. I used to have these big soft boxes and whatnot all over here. And this just makes it much easier. I'm using a sit stand desk from okay. FlexiSpot. So I'm standing right now, but when I'm doing my law work, I'm sitting. <laughs> and uh, what else? No, printer? it's actually it, it's, a printer. Yeah, I use I've used an old brother laser something or other, just a okay. wireless printer here for the house, and and I do have a scanner also. I love my Fujitsu Scan Snap. I, I it's a lawyer's mainstay, especially if you're a solo or small practitioner. I've got one right over there, and the one thing we haven't mentioned, hmm. your phone. I'm an iPhone guy. 
Okay. And which iPhone uh, do you have? So I have the 13 Max or whatever okay. it is. Yeah. Pro Max. Yeah, I think so. Mainly went to get that because my oldest son, who's 14, he needed a phone last Christmas. And so I thought, well, I'll get him, I'll give him the old one and get the new one for myself. And for me, it's a business tool. I also have an iPad. I have an iPad Pro that I use with the pen and I take all my notes and things like that in there. So it's just right in the system automatically. Now is your, do you have the M1 or the M2 chip? I'm on the M1 chip. Okay. Same here. Same here. Just, they came out with the M2 chip, I believe just recently. Within the last four or five months, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I hear great things about it, but I also don't think that I need the upgrade urgently. Agreed. Agreed. No, I, I agree. I absolutely like, for instance, I have the Max with the M1 Ultra. Oh, nice. And even though they're supposed to be coming out with the M2 soon, I don't yeah. feel the need. And the specs that I'm seeing, I don't see the name that's comparable yeah. with you have with your iPads, any other device. I would pretty much just skip the M2 if you have an M1, yeah. unless you just really need the processing. Well, but since we're talking ahead. about Max a little more, if you don't mind, please, I'll jump in. Please. Just a little tip I got. I just happened to be my MacBook Pro that I take with me when I go to teach my class and, and those kinds of things. It's a 2017 model, 13 inch okay. Mac Pro. And so it's still on the Intel chip, but the battery started giving me an error message saying, hey, service recommended or whatever. So I took it into the Apple store just last week. And unfortunately, it's not bad enough that they'll replace it for free. Right. So, I have, so I'm going to wait it out. But while I was talking to the guy, he, I was looking and said, should I just buy a new MacBook Pro? He says, no get an air. And we got into this whole conversation about it. And if you look at the specs of the MacBook Pro M1 and the equivalent chip in the air, it's so close that I said, so what's the difference? He says about 400 bucks. He could not point me to a technical difference between these two machines. And that makes sense. Except for me, I have well, a MacBook Pro 16 inch. As you get into the larger screens yeah. and more ports and things like that. Right. But it's not an issue so much of ports. It's an issue of screen and real estate. Mm-hmm. I'm when I'm mobile, I need that real estate usually, even though I ha- I can use my iPad as an ex- as a second screen when I'm on the road. Yeah, but, and I do that. I actually yeah. have a second flat screen that I can bring with me for if I need it. But most of the time when I'm teaching, I'm hooking up to the big screen in the classroom. Wait, you're not using your iPad as a second screen? Sometimes. Okay. Or I, is it a, it's a third screen? You get the flat panel and... Yeah, and, sometimes I do that. It really depends. Often what I do is I'll hook up the laptop to the big screen or the projector mm-hmm, in the room, mm-hmm. and I'll use the iPad as a remote for my keynote presentation. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. And That's a yeah, good idea. That way I can walk around the room and interact with the students <laughs> a little more, and I think they probably hate it. But. It depends on how old the students are. <laughs> is it college or high school? It's or college undergrads, yeah. Yeah, I'm not as bad as high school students. I think they would really hit it. But yeah, you know, college students, hopefully they're a little bit, hopefully they're a little bit more mature. Can't guarantee mm-hmm. that. But <laughs> but t- let's get into the questions. Okay. What are the top three reasons a lawyer would want to start a podcast? I will say that I think that podcasting is easier than blogging in the sense that you can be conversational. You don't have mm-hmm. all every word that goes on the page and it doesn't have to mm-hmm. just be, you know, we write in a sort of legalistic way. And I think that the voice that we capture of ourselves when we're recording is more congenial. So it's friendlier. It's just easier yes. to connect with the audience. You still probably put an outline together and a lot of the same things you right. do with blogging. And But then you can take the transcript and post it to a blog or excerpt mm-hmm. and those kinds of things. Second reason I would say podcasting is great is it establishes you as the expert in the field that you're talking about. Even when you're interviewing a guest, their expertise rubs off on you, the interviewer. And so it's a great way to to project a kind of credibility, not project, develop a kind of credibility. Mm -hmm. And when you have that 
regular content coming out on your blog or on your website and on the podcast and maybe on YouTube and stuff. When people go Google your name, they're going to mm -hmm. find all that stuff and see that you're an expert on these kinds of things. The third thing, and this is one that I don't think a lot of people think about, is when you have a podcast and you interview guests who are in your sort of target client-based right, right. community, it's an, you don't need a pretense for calling them and, and asking them to have a conversation that can right. then lead to that no trust. That gets built automatically and organically when you allow them to talk about themselves and the things they care about, which after all is themselves. <laughs> so people love to be asked questions about what they do and of course, yeah. yeah. Pardon the interruption. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Consider sharing this show with others. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your download feeds. If you're listening directly from our blog, consider buying us a cup of coffee or two from the link on our blog to help defray some of the production costs. Thanks again and enjoy. And I remember when I started off as a lawyer looking for my first job, I did a lot of information interviews because yeah. I'd say, I want to learn about what you do because it's what I want to do. And then, mm -hmm. of course, I'll say, oh, yeah, I'm happy to talk about myself. And then hopefully that will lead maybe to some direction of trying to find sure. the next job or a job. Yeah. But so actually, it's, I want... it's, it's a networking kind of intro. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's great. And I wanted to backtrack a little bit, be anecdotal about first two answers. Because when I started the blog, in a sense, I had no idea what I was doing and I knew mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. But at the same time, I'm also working full time. And I found that getting as many entries on the blog was it was slower and harder the amount and quality I wanted to do. So at the same time, I heard about this thing called podcasting and I started doing that. And I agree with you, the podcasting is easier and it's a little bit more fun because I you're know. not you're not so scripted. You get to talk to interesting people. You get to share what mm -hmm. you know. You get to hear about new things. I've learned something new today. I've learned new things in all the different podcasts I've done. I'm sure some of my listeners may be a little tired of listening to some of my same answers again. For instance, mm -hmm. um, I know you're a Big Mac guy. And if I mentioned this to you at PodFest, forgive me for repeating this, but you should check out Mac Power Users podcast. Oh, yeah. David Spock. Yeah, I've okay. actually... David and I have talked and I've had him on a show I had a while back about podcasting lawyers. Okay. And, and, and he quit being a lawyer. He's full steam on Max Sparky and his podcast. The uh, exactly. He, he, I inspired to be him. But going back to your second answer, becoming the expert in the area, if I remember the exact answer you gave, I've been getting calls from journalists and you know, they're asking me about this regarding technology and the law and this and this and that, so to speak. And that's getting my name out in a different way. Granted, it's not the focus of my law practice, which is fun, mm -hmm. which sort of goes in your third answer, because I'm not doing this to enhance the law practice. I'm yeah. doing this out of sense of fun and enjoyment. Yeah. I get a lot of kicks out of just playing with technology and trying to figure out how to utilize it so that work in law be easier. Let's move on to the second question. What are the top three legal issues lawyers should be concerned when doing a podcast? And we talked off mic about whether it be release forms, references to your site and services, UPL. I think that the big issue that anybody who's podcasting mm -hmm. needs to be sensitive to is intellectual property, because we all grew up with radio or other sources right. of music in our lives. And we want to have that vibe of a fully produced thing with music right, and all right. that. But the copyright law makes that, and frankly, just 
the right thing to do with respect to the owners of those copyrights makes that very hard to do in the podcasting space. So we need to know and understand about how copyright law works when we quote from things, when we use other people's stuff, essentially. And so intellectual property legal issues can rear their ugly head pretty easily in the podcasting space. I don't know that UPL is a big concern, but I think that lawyer advertising can be. If okay. you are using a podcast to promote your business, your practice, right. different states have different rules about what's okay and what's not. Now, I think that if you're doing a podcast, even if you're talking about your field of law, which may be interesting to some and boring to others, if you're giving generalized information, I don't see it as very different from what you would be doing if you wrote a book. Okay. You know, if, if each episode is like a chapter of a book that you're talking about a particular area or some case studies or something like that, I don't think that crosses the line into commercial speech. Until you go on and say, and if you have this problem, call me at 555-whatever. Right. And so it, you just need to be conscious and aware of what the lawyer advertising rules in your community if you're well, doing a substantive legal story, legal podcast. So podcasting has no boundaries. It's the internet. It's worldwide. Yeah. So if I'm Joe Schmo talking about a personal injury case and I could be your personal injury lawyer. Yeah. And I live, work, and practice in state A, but state B next door says, hey, you're encroaching and advertising in our state, and you're not following our rules. We're going to discipline you, even though the lawyer in state A has no business mm -hmm. at the state. Yeah, Should I think we be concerned about that? Because I've seen some states say, hey, you've been playing in our pond, and we don't yeah. like it, even though you're not really playing in their pond. I think that some of those issues have been settled with television advertising where the TV signal from a station in Arkansas crosses into mm -hmm. Texas. Does Texas get to regulate that lawyer merely because that ad happens to bleed in? I don't think so. I think also here in the U.S., we're fortunate <laughs> that we have a First Amendment, freedom of speech. Right. And if what we're creating is educational, informative, political, artistic kind of speech rather than mm -hmm. purely commercial, uh, we have very strong protections. It's when it crosses into that commercial arena that the state has a little more interest in regulating. I'm not too concerned about that territorial boundaries issue as much as the state that has jurisdiction over you, certainly. And I think another big concern would frankly just be, and I think most of us are tuned in enough to know, we're not giving direct specific legal advice on our show. Right. We are not answering a question directly responsive to that question. On some of my live streams and things, I will take a question from the audience and generic it down Right. I had a question about XYZ and how long copyrights last. And then I can answer the question without responding to their particular legal need. So let's pause that for a second because you touch on a follow up question I had. Yeah. So someone from state, you're in state A, someone from mm -hmm. state B heard you about copyright law, thought, oh my God, this guy's fantastic. I've got to hire him. Okay. And you do all your retainer and your engagement letters, all state and based in state A. Yeah. But state B said, hey, hold on a second. You're advertising to residents in our state. So we don't like the way you're doing it. We're going to investigate you, hmm. sanction you. See what I'm getting at? Yeah, I do. I do. I think it calls to mind actually international shoe <laughs> to talk about jurisdictional questions. Do you really have minimum contacts with that other state? merely by virtue of your podcast being listenable there? I don't think so. I haven't researched it specifically, but that's a real question. Now, if you take the client from mm -hmm. that other side, that's where you're violating the law. That's where your UPL, I think. If you take them in, I was like, at, from if, the if I'm state? located in California and someone from Nebraska hires me and I'm not right. licensed in Nebraska, 
unless there's a really solid nexus between the legal matter and the state that I'm in, right. like I am practicing without a license in the other right. state. But I, in my hypothetical, whatever the issue was that yeah. the person from state B hired you from deals <laughs> in state A. Oh, yeah. If you've been so, in an accident in California, come hire me. And then someone from Nevada comes and hires me. Yeah. But it, yeah, I probably wouldn't take out an ad in Nevada papers. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. So what about release forms? Michael, this is a crusade that I've been on. <laughs> I think that everybody who interviews guests on their podcast would use some kind of a written or at least an online release form of some sort that captures the consent to the recording, whether you're in a one-party recording consent date or, or two-party two or whatever, capture that consent and also exp explain the scope of what's going to be done with this recording. So there can be no misunderstandings when you later decide to use the transcript and turn it into a book or, or publish a greatest hits episode or something like that. Your guest shouldn't be in a position to come at you later and say, hey, not what we agreed, take it down. Now, that doesn't say you if the guest has a good reason why it's going to hurt them, their job, they're going to lose their job or something, you, you certainly right. can. You have the flexibility. But that should be your decision, not the guest's decision. So consent and also ownership of copyright is, a, is an interesting area here. When two or more people get together to create something as a single unitary whole, like a podcast mm -hmm. episode, under the law as it stands, without any specific intention otherwise – they're going to look like joint authors and therefore joint owners of the copyright with joint rights to exploit, but also it clouds the sort of chain of title. Now, that's not a big issue most of the time, but every once in a while, someone's going to take their show and go exclusive on Spotify, and then they need to be able to show they've got ownership of all those episodes. Oh, kind of. okay. So okay. If you're even thinking about positioning to make a sale or join a network or something like that, getting those ducks in a row is important and we lawyers <laughs> do as i say don't do it not as i do in this one but we think we know but it's always someone comes out of the woodwork when you least expect it and if you have to take an episode down and you've got a sponsor on that episode now you just breach your contract with your sponsor so it can well, really how long does a sponsorship of a particular episode last i think that's a little like asking how long is a piece of string right how long is that episode going to live i think you know, it, it's a bigger issue, of course, if the takedown happens within two or three months after the episode, than if it's two or three years later. But right. still, I think the implication, at least for host red ads and things like that, is that they stay with the episode for the life of the podcast. Fair enough. I tell guests, as I've told you or will mm -hmm. tell you, that once the episode's released, you're welcome to use it for your own PR media necessities. Yeah. Kind of thing. I've just never thought that someone would come back and say, oh, take that down. Now, obviously, if it was wrong or something came out bad, I would fix it or take it down, of course. But I guess, how do you approach someone who's doing, in a sense, to be blunt, you're doing me a favor of coming on, and I greatly appreciate it. But but by the way, Gordon, I know you're helping me here, and you're doing me a favor, but do you mind signing this? It's a two-way street. Remember, I'm also uh -huh. getting access to your platform and your audience, so I wouldn't be doing it if there wasn't a little bit of self-interest involved. Maybe no, it's just a, like no, the wait, wait, my... you're self-interested here? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I just like the sound of my own voice and playing with my toys. But the way I, do, and I don't have guests on my show very often, but the way I do it and the way I recommend others to do it is when they book the appointment on the scheduling calendar, you, I use Acuity Scheduling, there's right. Calendly and there's a bunch of yep. these others out there. I actually have the text of my release form on that questionnaire that they answer okay. and a checkbox. Do you agree to the above terms and conditions? They click it and 
we're good to go. And the law is pretty clear that click wrap agreements like that are valid and enforceable. And if nothing else, it just puts them on notice that you're being serious about this thing. Would I want to necessarily send them a PDF and say, hey, print this, sign it, and fax it back to me or something crazy? It gets unwieldy. You could even do it orally if you have the script down and you can read it. You just want that manifestation of the intent to be bound by these terms. Right. And it can be done conversationally. And I think it does project a kind of professionalism. So what would you advise other podcasters and perhaps myself included that, hey, we have so many episodes in the can, but we never got that release. Can we go back yeah. and somehow say, hey, do you mind releasing this? That's a great question. I think I probably wouldn't. If it was myself, I don't right. think I would bother going back. I would just clean up my act going forward and hope for the If I have a <laughs> couple of episodes that are cornerstone content, I might. Right. Or if I go and I'm planning to repurpose that content for something, put it inside an online course or write a book or something, then I would go back. But no, once it's out there and you haven't had any problems, that's a sleeping dog you let lie. Okay. That is, this is all very good to know. And quite, these are things that would be great to hear at a podcasting conference. You think? <laughs> yes. And unless I missed that particular session at the podcasting festival that you and I went to, and yeah. that, I think that would be like, here is a session on all the stuff you need to be considering legally when mm -hmm. doing a podcast. Now, if I've forgotten and you did it and I missed it, I apologize. No. This year, my topic at PodFest was a little narrower. I covered one aspect of that, and it does cover the release. But my topic was about why you need a podcast prenup. Right. I'm not talking about when you're working with co-producers, co-hosts, yeah. Yeah. anybody else, including guests coming on your show. I'm talking about the pitfalls and the solutions to dealing with that. But and I do of course, and now, of course, I do remember I did see it because you also at the at PodFest, which is the podcasting conference that you and I both met at yeah. last October. No, just in January. January. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm going to a lot of conferences in the last year. At the at PodFest, you also had a link to a bunch of release forms. Yeah. If yeah. I recall correctly. And maybe be nice enough to share that with our listeners for me to put in our show notes. But that that I'll I'll leave to you. No, I'd be delighted. I the i as I said, this is my crusade. I want mm -hmm. people using this. I've provided a free podcast guest release form free. You have to give me your email address, but then I'm going to send you this form. Go to podcastrelease.com, the form, download the zip file, and open it up and you've got the form in a couple of different formats. I will be absolutely sure to put that in the show notes and hopefully you'll get some more emails, including mine. Yeah, okay. So for our last question, what are your top three favorite pieces of technology, whether it's hardware or software, that you use to make your podcast recordings great? And I know we got number one as being the mic and the mixer. Yeah, the, those are certainly on the top of my list. A Mac is a fantastic tool. It really, it, it does everything I need it to do and much, much more. And so I, I love my Mac Mini. You've got a Mac Studio. Same basic. I've got a little envy now, but I'd say that's on my list. And then software. Interesting. That's a hard one. Well, so I'm going to ask you to pause that for just a second. So let's yeah. go back to the Mac Mini for a second. Sure. So you have a mixer that mm -hmm. does everything internally. Yeah. So what do you use the Mac Mini for then? The Mac Mini is the hub of the communications with the outside. Okay. Right now, I'm not going through that roadcaster at all. You're getting right, right. direct through the Mac, through the Zoom call. And when I do a call with my co-host that's a skype call we're using skype we've been using it for 14 years and not going to change it if it works we've been doing a skype call the skype call comes out of the mac into the roadcaster and then 
records there. And the Mac is where I do what little editing I do and create the show notes and upload everything. And and these days I'm doing a lot of video live streaming as well. Okay. I'll say, I think that's the answer to my third technology item is the software that I use for live streaming is called okay. Ecamm Live. And okay. it is a beautiful piece of software that allows me to create basically a television show oh. or a live stream, multiple cameras, overlays, lower third things that slide in, video, play a video, presentations, whatever, right here on my Mac with just a few keystrokes. And boy, that technology is something else. When I was in school studying radio, TV, and film production, it was a whole room full of gear that you needed to do what you can now do from your desktop with a computer and a mouse. Let's take that uh, in a different direction for just a mm -hmm. second. You talked about what you do for video. What do you think is the best piece of software to use for podcasting when the two people are not in the same room? I think from a software point of view, it's a, I'm going to say riverside.fm is the tool of choice for a lot of podcasters that a lot, it's the connectivity between two people records on both ends simultaneously. Mm -hmm. If you and I were talking over Riverside, I'd be making a recording. You'd be making a recording when we're done. It's going to upload them, merge them and give the host of the show both a merged mixed file as well as the individual audio files and the video. So you can cut audio and video and do your editing and mixing and all the after the fact if you want. But if you get a good quality recording, you're just done with it and output like you do with the Zoom. So it seems like it has a lot of features to it. Yeah. But say compared to Zoom and Skype, why would I want that instead? The sound quality from these tools, like Riverside is in a class of these tools. There's a couple of others out there that mm -hmm. do the same thing. I, Riverside's the top of mind for me these days. I think this, the quality of the sound is far superior to what you get on a Zoom call or a Skype call, uh, certainly without any extra tinkering. So I, I did a lot of tinkering with the Skype call, so I'm feeling pretty good about that and not going to make any drastic changes. But that's one. And it's much easier for the guest not to have to download additional software, not to have to tinker with things and on their end to get this to happen. You just load up a link in a browser and you're off to the races. And you're so talking about Riverside super, FM. Riverside, yeah. It's okay. You sign up, you get an account, you send the guest a link, and bang, they show up in your little studio on Riverside and you're good to go. So basically what I'm hearing is that with Riverside A versus Zoom and Skype is that you get a better sound quality. You have a lot of options when it comes to your video. And also you get individual recordings in addition to a combined recording with Riverside versus the Zoom, which with Zoom, either I can keep the entire file, the recording, or I can up, keep it uploaded on the cloud. And I'm not sure how Skype works. I'm assuming this allows you to download or record. Yeah, Skype doesn't actually do any recording. That's something that's happening on my end when we do. Oh, this. okay. So then it seems like then it would be you can't do, use Skype then for podcast recording, but you could use Zoom for podcast recording. I'm sorry, you should, can't use Skype without some sort of additional hardware. Yeah, or software. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I got it. So Skype is out for the newbie, but yeah. Zoom would be okay. And then if you want to graduate, perhaps Riverside FM. I greatly appreciate your thoughts. And more importantly, I appreciate you being on here today. Please tell us where people can find you. Michael, it's been a real pleasure. Best way to find me is my name, gordonfiremark.com. We'll get you to the website that has all of my sort of courses and information products. And firemark.com is the law practice blog slash podcast. Right. And the name of my main podcast is called Entertainment Law Update. And you can find that on most podcast platforms. 
And I will be sure to have all of that in the show notes. And again, I want to thank you for being on. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the TechSavvyLawyer.page podcast. Our next episode will be posted in about two weeks. If you have any ideas about a future episode, please contact me at michaeldj at the TechSavvyLawyer.page. Have a great day and happy luring.